This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley's pasture-raised chicken sticks. I'm super excited to share Paleo Valley's brand new pasture-raised chicken sticks. These chicken sticks are made from 100% pasture-raised chicken and organic spices that are preserved using natural fermentation rather than preservatives. So yes, no fake stuff or additives here. These chicken sticks are sourced from regenerative family farms raised on American pastures and each stick is free of chemicals, antibiotics, pesticides, and added hormones. Paleo Valley's chicken sticks are a perfect snack packed with 7 grams of protein and frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.com slash nwj and use code nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks again for listening and supporting this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to follow. My name is Judy Cho and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. And I have a private practice where we focus on root cause healing. And that often starts with the carnivore cures, all meat elimination diet. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with my friend and mentor, Dr. Alan Grunning. He is a SIRS medical provider. Dr. Grunning works out of Florida. He's, I think, specifically based out of Fort Myers. Dr. Grunning shares so much about his SIRS journey and how he started treating patients with SIRS. For 17 years, Dr. Grunning cared for acutely ill patients as an emergency medicine specialist. He is a fellow of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians, and he is board certified in emergency medicine. Dr. Grunning is a Christian physician and seeks to heal the whole person, body, mind, and spirit, and he's had great long-term success for his patients. His main practice, the fibromyalgia Fort Myers, has helped so many people heal with chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Dr. Grunning has been a physician for over 16 years, and he started having his own chronic fatigue illness. As he started healing, he started looking more into mold illness, and we talk a lot about that in this interview. Dr. Grunning also has a free clinic where he helps people that do not have financial resources to actually get some level of healing with chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Dr. Grunning also created the Christian SIRS network, which I am part of, and he is such a great leader and also physician for a lot of these SIRS patients. In our conversation, we talk about so many things related to SIRS. We talk about how a lot of illnesses, whether it's mental, physical, lots of the pain illnesses, such as fibromyalgia, maybe rheumatoid arthritis, and even mental illness, such as bipolar and depression are actually maybe SIRS. We talk about how even long COVID is other symptomologies that are underlying SIRS. This conversation is sobering, but it's also filled with hope. Dr. Grunning, if many of you work with him, he has a lot of hope and he may lay down the law and be super serious and factual about the illness and what you need to do to overcome it. And sometimes that's a hard conversation, but he's not going to sugarcoat it with things that will not work. He ultimately wants a lot of us to heal and even come to Jesus, but he truly wants people healing. And you'll see it in this interview. Dr. Grunning is also very open. He didn't know about carnivore before working with some of our community members and now has been open to carnivore. He is willing and open to do things to help people get to root cause healing. Let's get right into the interview. Hi, Dr. Grunning. I am super excited to have you join me on my channel. You do so much for the communities. 
I'm super excited for everyone to learn more about you. If, if you can introduce yourself for the people that are listening and watching. Sure. I'm Alan Grenning. Um, I'm a DO. I'm practicing in Fort Myers, Florida. I uh, do functional medicine. And for the last 16 and a half years, I've been taking care of biotoxin patients. Go figure. I guess I'm getting pretty old. And if we could talk about SIRS or chronic inflammatory response syndrome, how did you fall into it? And if you can tell us a little bit about I it. I literally fell into it. Like <laughs> I was in my regular practice doing traditional medicine. I had been an ER doctor for 17 years. So that was my life mostly uh, doing traditional medicine, saving lives. And then in 2001, left all of that to open up my own practice. And I was doing auto accident care and primary care. And around in 2004, I started to get sick. And like, I was like, my nurses would like find me like falling asleep in my office, like in the middle of the day. And they'd be like slapping me like, Alan, wake up. We got patients here to do. And I'd be like falling asleep in front of the patients. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I have no energy to do anything. And so I went to see, you know, some of my friends who are traditional, you know, doctors. And they're like, Alan, none of your tests. I think you're just overworked. You're stressed. You need a break. I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't need a break. Like, there's something wrong with me. So that began a quest to into functional medicine, which at the time in 2000, so there wasn't such a thing as functional medicine. Like I had to like go to all these courses and read books and do things to kind of learn how to fix me and figured out that I had autoimmune thyroid problems and came to find out that I had SIRS later, but um, started tinkering with some of my patients who had fibromyalgia in my practice. And um, so there was one patient who, Kathy, who said to me one day, she said, Dr. Grinding, I have mold illness. I'm like, what is that? Like, I don't even know what that is. I never heard of that. She goes, oh, a doctor, there's a Dr. Shoemaker and he's big into this and you need to learn how to do all this. I'm like, Kathy, I don't have time for any of that. Like, that sounds like a lot of work. She goes, yeah, but I'm so sick. I don't know what to do. You have to help me. Fine. So I went on, looked at a couple of his videos. I'm like, this is way over my head. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do any of this. Immunology? Like, what's that? I didn't learn any of that in school. But anyway, so that began a trek and and to help Kathy get better. And then I started getting other people better. And before I knew it, I had people coming from everywhere and I got better. And so that's where I've been doing. I didn't realize that you had SIRS yourself. So this whole time, all the private calls I had with you, the mentorships, you've never, ever brought up your own journey about that. So I'm I had no idea. Um, it just I just figured you. that most of us, Judy, who are doing this are doing this because we probably went through it. Like, mm-hmm. that's the way God works. Like, yeah. he allows you to go through this stuff so that then you'll understand it and have empathy and compassion for people. And then you'll and you'll throw yourself into like trying to help people get better because you went through it. Right. No, no, no. It totally makes sense. For the person that comes to you that maybe they never heard of SIRS, what what does a patient that has SIRS sort of look like or that you commonly see? You know, I'd say that there's different kinds of types. So there's the person that comes to me and they have typical symptoms of fibromyalgia. Uh, They have pain all over. They fatigue. They they have brain fog. They have gut problems, headaches. They have everything. Um, Then there's the group that don't have the pain so much but have chronic fatigue. They just are exhausted all the time. They can't keep up. They can't do things. Then there's the people who are having more brain issues, uh, cognitive, neurocognitive problems, um, or strange neurological symptoms that no one else can kind of figure out. Like I have a guy now who has 
Parkinson's. He's young. He's like 40. Like, why would somebody, you know, that's 40 year old have Parkinson, right? And the neurologist, he's seen three of them, including somebody at the Mayo Clinic. And they're like, you have Parkinson's, here's some drugs. We don't know why you have it. No, you have it because you're living in this water damaged, moldy building in Cape Coral. I mean, there's a reason for this, right? right? So, and then I take care of whole families that are sick from this. So right now I have a family I'm, I'm trying to help that got sick from military housing in San Diego and they're fighting the Department of Defense and, you know, but they're all doing better. Like, you know, now we got them out of that and to a safer place and, um, and provided treatment. They're all getting better. It's amazing. And they're doing amazing. So those are kind of the main ones that I see. Um, people with inflammation, which you're used to dealing with, because a lot of people come to you because they have inflammation, right? And and then they decide that the diet alone isn't fixing their inflammation. And they've already got a cabinet full of supplements that they're taking that's not fixing their inflammation, right? And they're like, oh, maybe there's something more to this that I need to look into. Do you run into people in that subset of also struggling with mental illness? As an example, I have two clients specifically that were diagnosed with bipolar at a very young age, and they have SIRS. And so I question now that diagnosis to be valid. It's not. So, <laughs> you know, I think that we've become really, really good at labeling people what yes. their symptoms are and what's wrong with them and putting them on drugs. But we're not really good at explaining why they have it, right? The reason that they have mental illness is because their brains have been poisoned by toxins in the environment. Now, there's also life issues. Like I do ACEs scores on all my patients. And and, you know, some of them have ACEs scores of eight, eight or nine. They're, those are adverse childhood experiences. And they've had a horrible life. And some of them are functioning really well. And some of them are not functioning really well. So, you know, there's a lot of factors involved with this. But no, I, I've seen the gamut of depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, bipolar, mood disorders. And the people who go through the SERS protocol get better. Yeah, I have a client that lives in Florida. I don't remember where exactly. And I thought she was suffering from SIRS and it was before she was willing to test. And she went on vacation and said she felt really good. And then as soon as she went back home, she felt that she wanted to just, she had this dark cloud come over her. And she literally told me that when she was driving, she wanted to run into the oncoming traffic. And that's when she realized, I think I should test because something just flipped the switch for me. And now all of a sudden, I'm really depressed back in my home. And lo and behold, she has SIRS. So it, it is really fascinating. You know, as we're talking about Florida, of all the cases I get, um, we get the most orders from Florida. And maybe there's a correlation between lots of carnivores in Florida, and that's why they're finding me. I don't know. But is there a connection with SIRS and Florida? And is Florida just not that ideal? Hey, guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. It's not. We're the SERS capital. I mean, okay. so since Ian hit Fort Myers here back in late September of last year, we are the SERS capital of the United States. Like there is no place that has more SERS than here. And there's tens of thousands of people here living in water damaged structures. 
and most of them have been remediated poorly and they're going to continue to live in those environments and get sicker and sicker and sicker. So I think as you look at the number of hurricanes that have come through Florida and the amount of damage that we've had here, there's a lot of SIRS in the state. Well, if there's a lot of SIRS, there's a lot of inflammation, right? And if there's a lot of inflammation, they're looking for help and they're coming to you and figuring, well, maybe the carnivore diet's going to fix me. And it does to some extent, right? I mean, it's it's helping with a lot of the symptoms, but it's never fixing the underlying problem. And so hopefully, you know, through you and, and the education you're providing now, people come to understand that there's there's more parts to this than just being a carnivore. If I had SIRS and I lived in Florida, do you recommend moving? I mean, what are your <laughs> what are your thoughts? Because I know it's beyond just the water damage building. There's also the algae bloom, the red tide. If you can just talk a little bit about it's that. hard here. Yeah, because of our genetics. You know, we have a big problem with red tide here now, um, which is uh, dinoflagellates in the water. And it's more toward middle to southwestern part of Florida on the West Coast. And it's going to be bad for the next two years because of all of Ian and the debris in the water and all the stuff that's happened here. We're going to have red tide for the next couple of years. So I won't be going to the beach. So I don't know why you'd want to come to Florida if you can't go to the beach. Like, why would you be here, right? So that's an issue. We do have a lot of canals here. And the canals have stagnant water. They grow blue-green algae. That's another problem, right? Um, We have high humidity levels here, very high during the summer. And that's a problem. But, you know, every place in the country has their own issues. So like a lot of people are like, oh, Dr. Grunning, I'm just going to move to Arizona and I'll be great there. No, we have lots of SIRS patients in Arizona. (laughs) Like We have lots of SIRS patients in New Mexico. Like you're in Austin, Texas. You got tons of SIRS patients. Like they're all over the place because every place has a structure that can have a leak, that can have water damage, that can have interior problems. It's not all about the outside. Yes, it is more challenging to be in Florida. I'll give you that. So over the months of working with different SERS practitioners, I've talked to you a lot and we've talked about the dilemma of there are so many people that are sick with SERS and there's not enough of prescription writing doctors and practitioners. How do we marry this issue that we're starting to come into? I don't know. I mean, I think that there's got to be another generation that rises up, you know, and I think through the surviving mold site and the proficiency partner training that we're doing, you know, we're starting to train more people to get involved in this locally here. I'm going to have to have a lot of help to do what I'm going to be doing, which we can talk about. And so I'm going to be training like a lot of people to be coaches and, and, you know, and to try to take some of the burden off of the prescribers and, and to do, I think, when you look at SERS cases, probably 80% of the care can be provided by non-doctors. So I think that there's a lot of room there to take the burden off of the practitioners, help us to focus on the people that are really, really bad and that need our help. And other people can kind of take up the ball and run with this. But it's a huge problem. And I'm hoping that you're going to get more people interested because you've got a platform to talk about this and that people will get excited and say, wow, I can like, get people better that I haven't gotten better before. And instead of just giving them a pill, I can actually fix their problem. Like that should be exciting to some people. I totally agree. It's been a challenge just from myself where people will ask me after they do blood work, well, why can't we just work with your team? You're, you know, you've been guided by Dr. Shoemaker and it's because I don't have prescription rights. And I know it's this 
find balance of, well, maybe I shouldn't have just recommended serves and have all the doctors work on it. But I see this dilemma where there's so many chiropractors, naturopathic doctors where they can't prescribe. And so instead of recommending SIRS, they have all these other binders and other things that you don't need with the prescription, but people aren't really healing with those things. And so we do need doctors that have the prescription rights to get these medications. And it's a constant problem I see, but I think you're right. So much of the work, the hands-on day-to-day support can be done by coaches, but we just need people that have the prescription rights. And I think you're one of the few doctors I work with that say, I can do the prescription stuff and maybe the rest of the coaches do the more hands-on or day-to-day stuff. Yeah. And I think that I'll make a couple of comments. One, I think having the lab work done before they come to me has been hugely helpful. Okay. Um, So I wouldn't discount the importance of that because then on their first visit, I can kind of morph right into their treatment. Like if they're, if they're ready to, they've learned a lot, they already know a lot, they've got their test results back. We can try to get that started on their first visit where normally I would never try to do that. So that's one thing. I think that there's a lot of issues involved with this. And and so let's talk about like my average patient that comes to me has seen 10 to 15 other doctors before they ever come to me, right? And they have spent 50 to $100,000 of money on needless medical care. Like that's, as soon as I talk to people on the phone, the first thing I say to them is like, that's coming to a stop. We're never going to allow this to ever happen again. No more urinary mycotoxins, no many IV ozone therapies, no more IV chelation therapies, no more infrared saunas, whatever it is that you've been trying to do that's not working that you've bought, we're going to put a stop to all that. Because it seems like in functional medicine now, there's functional medicine chiropractors, functional medicine this, functional medicine that. And everybody seems to have like a gimmick and the gimmicks are all cash um, because they're trying to generate more money for the practice instead of just getting people better. Right. I wish it wasn't that way, but that's the reality. No, I agree. And I I think I saw it um, online when I share some content about mold. I mean, there are so many people talking about mold, but when you see the recommendations from there, it's the stuff that they can get access to, right? Whether it's the binders that are the activated charcoal, chlorella, glutathione, these are simple, easy ones, or doing the urinary mycotex test, it's easier than getting someone's blood work and having to have them pay for more expensive ones. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, I could go that route, but I know it doesn't work. And it's just, it's just unfortunate. And that's why I think God's role for me was really just having a platform to share this information so that people are educated in the right way and empowered so that then when they find a doctor that says, I mean, most people say that their functional doctor says, oh yeah, I totally know mold. I've heard of Dr. Shoemaker, but when they go into the process, they're actually following Dr. Nathan or Neil Nathan's stuff and the mycotoxins tests and, and then they don't get better. And so eventually they'll come back and they'll test for SIRS. And it was what a waste of a year that you could have just tested for SIRS. It was a waste. Yeah. Right. Right. And, what so- a waste. and, and, you know, I think that the issue comes back, um, Judy to the data, right? Like, so you can say whatever you want to say on social media or a podcast or whatever it is, but it's your opinion. Right. You know, my patients are sick enough. They don't need people's opinions. They need the facts. 
They need the data, right? So unfortunately or fortunately, we're the only ones that have the data. Shoemaker's group is the only one that has the data. Everybody else is just giving opinions and, and their opinions don't matter. And, and the worst of all is when they go to somebody who's some Lyme doctor or whatever, and they start putting them on antifungals. And now they've been on antifungal drugs. Oh, yeah, you've got mycotoxins in your urine. You need to be on antifungal drugs. Well, guess what? Those things poison your brain and destroy brain tissue. Like, you can't be on that stuff. And that's what gets me aggravated, I guess, about all these other providers is they're not following the data. They're just doing whatever it is that they want to do. And that's wrong. Can we touch upon that? Because I don't think a lot of people, and you're right. So a lot of people get on these like azoles or like fluconazole or um, other azoles that will then has been shown to cause brain atrophy. Um, There's a lot of people that will come to me. They've already worked with somebody on mold. And so they're on something like that, an antifungal, but there is research that shows that it causes brain atrophy. If you can talk a little bit about. Sure. Um, you know, I think in the in in the world, there's kind of like two camps because uh, I like to make things simple for people. So especially in the Lyme camp, but even in the in the mold camp, mold, we, which we have to talk about because it's not just mold. Right. 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 But any of that there's two camps. One the one camp is let's kill it. And the other camp is let's remove it. Right. So we're in the remove it camp. But there's a whole bunch of people in the I want to kill it camp. And so you go to them and they're like, you have Lyme, we're going to kill it. Here's antibiotics out the wazoo for the next two years, right? Or you go with them with mold. Let's do a urinary mycotoxin. Oh, see, you've got all these molds in your body. We need to kill them. We're going to put you on azole antifungal drug. Well, unfortunately, we now know that those drugs have a huge, huge increase in in brain atrophy. So one of the tests we do with all new patients that I do with every new patient is a neuroquant. So a neuroquant is a you know volumetric brain MRI. I don't know if you've talked about that on your show before. Um, so anyway, you, you just go to an MRI place, but it has to be one that does specifically these neuroquant tests. It's an FDA approved software program that takes the MRI images and does a sub-analysis of it to look at various parts of the brain uh, for atrophy. Atrophy is shrinkage or deterioration of your brain. Well, the worst thing that happens with biotoxin patients is they develop atrophy at enormous rates versus the regular population. And some of that is because of the molds. Most of that is because of actinomycetes and gram-negative endotoxins that we can get into. And so when you see the neuroquant, you do the analysis of it, and you see all of these areas of brain atrophy, it's horrifying because these people can't think. Like, they don't remember anything. Like, they go in a room, like, why am I here? And and where did my, my car keys? Where are those? Like, they don't remember anything. And their spouse is saying, like, this isn't the same person I married. Like, they're nothing. Their brain's going, do they have dementia? Right. right? So they're asking me these questions. And then I find out that, oh, yeah, I was on fluconazole for six months. Like, that was poison to your brain. Uh, and so it destroys brain tissue. It accelerates the SERS process and causes more atrophy. So um, anybody out there that's on an antifungal drug and you think you have SERS, stop it today. Like, don't take any more of it. No, I think that's good. Um, we have a, there's a young child in the, um, in the oncology. She has leukemia and they found, they did some type of testing inside. It wasn't obviously SERS markers, but they found that she had fungal overgrowth and they put her on an azole. And I told the parents, you need to get her off. And I shared the study. So he is, but it's just, there was so much misinformation he was being taught even in the hospital. So it's just unfortunate. You brought up actinomycetes, um, endotoxins, and you even brought up the algae bloom as well as uh, red tide. So obviously it's not just 
mold that serves effects. Can you talk a little bit about these other things? There are multiple biotoxins. So, and it depends upon what your HLA genetic type is as to how susceptible you are to these other things. So some HLA types are only susceptible to the things in a water damage building. Some are only susceptible to chronic Lyme disease. Although in practice, we see a lot of crossover in those types. Some are multi-susceptible. Uh, so I'm a 4353, so I'm multi-susceptible. So that means we can get all the biotoxins. So what are the other biotoxins? So besides indoor toxic mold, it's a group of organisms called actinomycetes, and then gram-negative bacteria, which is the same stuff growing in the hospital that's multi-drug resistant, like Pseudomonas, Klebsiella, Haemophilus, that can grow in your house too. Um, so there's those biotoxins. Then there is chronic Lyme disease, Borrelia, that's a biotoxin. Um, ciguatera fish poisoning, if you've ever had that, it's pretty nasty. You get that from eating um, bad reef fish. That's a biotoxin. Brown recluse spider bites are very interesting because as I start to delve into patients' history, they're like, well, you know, I had a spider bite when I was, and but did it leave a mark? Did it leave a permanent scar? And they roll up their pants leg and say, yeah, here it is. And it's like, oh, that was a brown recluse bite. That was another biotoxin, right? Um and then Fisteria, which um, that's where Richie first got interested in all this. It's, it's an estuary syndrome. But red tide and blue-green algae are similar to that. Um, those things can make you pretty sick. And the final one is COVID. COVID's a biotoxin. So COVID, COVID turns on your genetics and makes you start to react to water-damaged buildings. So all these people with long COVID syndrome really have SIRS. No, I, and I, I have absolutely seen that as well. So I think long COVID is actually possibly most likely SIRS. Um, I definitely see that. I'm sure the next question that people are thinking is, well, depending on what I have, is the treatment different? Um, if I have Lyme first, do I need to go to a Lyme doctor first before I treat SIRS? No. So the answer to that is no. Uh, and again, it depends which camp you're in, right? If you're in the kill it camp, then they're going to be like, no, let's kill it all with antibiotics or antifungals or whatever. If you're in the remove it camp, the protocol works for every biotoxin. It's all the same. If you have Lyme disease, we modify it slightly, but mostly it's all the same protocol. Now, get out of exposure, use binders, treat Marcons, get off a of weed, you know, all the same protocol that, that you've probably talked about. It, it It's true for all, every biotoxin. And then when you first... So for a water damaged building home, because that's where most people get sick, there's also actinos and endos. And when, when I first started, I was just testing for the mold side of it. So the fungal overgrowth, do you recommend that because it gets more expensive and we can talk about the affordability, but do you recommend people from the very beginning, not just doing our ERMI or hurts me too, but also doing the actinos and endos? And if so, why? Yeah, so if they can afford it, I, I ask everybody to do test seven from Envirobiomics, which okay. includes the HurtsMe2, Actinomycetes, and gram-negative endotoxins. And the reason is, as we've looked at genie studies now, the transcriptomic studies that we've done on patients, thousands and thousands of them, we realize now that the pathology that we see in SIRS is only 10% from mold. Mm -hmm. So the rest of it is coming from actinomycetes, like probably 50%. And then gram-negative endotoxins is probably 30%. And I see this in my practice all the time. I see homes that have tons and tons of actinos in it, and they have really very little mold. 
and the patient's brains are deteriorating. And, and this is a common problem. So I do recommend testing that initially. And it is expensive. It's $500 to do that test. And I just try to tell people, but yeah, you don't have to hire anybody to do it. Like you're saving that cost. You don't have to bring in an inspector yet. We're just going to screen the house. But if we don't get this right, nothing works. Now, there are people that just can't afford $500. And so then what do we do with them? So then I, I do the following. I have them do a Hurts Me Too and the endotoxins. And that's about $220 or so. And then I just assume that the actinos are going to be high and I teach them how to decontaminate their home. Their environmental testing results show that there's either a high Hurts Me Too, there's a lot of toxic molds, or there's endotoxins. To me, that's a decision point of I need to get somebody into their house to take a look around. Like we got to find out why that's high. Okay. If those come back low, I don't really need an inspector. I need to decontaminate their house. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen next. And I can teach people how to do that. So what is the difference in treating a home that has the actinos or endos, the, um, the fungal or the endos versus treating actinos? So, and, and that's what I was just kind of alluding to. So, you know, let's say I'm, I'm, it's one of my patients here in Florida and I have them screen the house and they have aspergillus penicilloides of 400 scores. And even though the Hurts Me Too score might be 10, I'm not happy with it. Like, I don't think any SERS patient should be in a home with aspergillus readings over 100. Like, they just shouldn't be there. So even though the, the score may not be that high, I'm like really concerned. Or let's say their endotoxin readings come back at three or 400. That's very concerning. So I don't want my SERS patients in a house like that. So then I'll call... I'll give them Max McCord's information. He's the indoor environmental guy that's part of our group that we use here in Florida. He travels all around Florida. He'll come to their house. He's got thermal cameras. He's got all these gadgets that, you know, I, I understand maybe half of what he does, but it's pretty cool. So he goes on a hunt in the house then to find out why are these things here? Like, where is this coming from? Like, is it in the air conditioning system? Is it behind a wall? Is it under a cabinet? Like, why do you have these things in your home? And that's super important because if we don't correct that, how are they ever going to get better? So he's an important part of the team. And, and he writes up a report and a lot of times he'll send it to me. And then I kind of go over with the patient and say, hey, you're going to have to make some changes here. And I'd say 75% of my problems here in Florida are from the air conditioning system. That's usually the big culprit here. Um, we don't find unless it's been recently water damage, we don't find a lot in the walls. We don't find a lot. It's, it's in the air conditioning system. So then we have to have air conditioning people come in who know what they're doing to decontaminate the air conditioning system. And that's a huge issue. Fortunately, I have a group here locally that I work with that I train the technicians, but if they're living in other places, then we're gonna have to find somebody well, the good news is I know what I want the HC people, HVAC people to look at. And so I've written that in my handout so I can give that to patients and say, hey, when they come to your house, here's what you do. First of all, you call a bigger air conditioning company. You tell them, hey, I'm a patient that's immunocompromised. And I tell them, say those exact words. I'm immunocompromised <clears throat> and I need your best person to come look at my HVAC system. And then when the person gets there, I say, here, show them my handout, letter D, has got everything written down about what I want them to do and have them take pictures. I want pictures of the coils. I want pictures of the fan. I want pictures of the whole thing. They should show you what they're finding, 
before and after they clean it. And then what about actinos? So how do, what's the cleaning process of that? So actinos, remember, have you talked about that before? On no, here? I have not. <laughs> okay, so, so let's, let's talk kind of in basic terms and for the people. So actinomycetes is a group of 230 different kinds of organisms that are kind of a cross between a bacteria and a fungus. They actually have characteristics of both. And actinos are of two major types. One are soil habitat actinos. Those are guys that are living in the soil outside. And you'll trek them in your home on your feet, or maybe the dog will bring them in on his paws. And, and you'll see that in the dust sample of your house. Those don't hurt us. Right. Those are not bad guys. The other ones are human habitat actinos. Well, these are the bad guys. And these are the ones that live on the outside of us. And we're shedding them all day long into our environment because we're shedding dead skin cells all day long. And they're hanging on to our dead skin cells. And so they come off into the dust of your house. They're taken up by your air conditioning system and spread all over the house. And so now they weren't as much of a problem when they were on your skin. They're a much bigger problem now that you're breathing them in. Right. And they activate your innate immune system and set off the inflammatory cascade that we know as SIRS. And so we can measure those in a dust sample. There are indices that we look at that we have correlated with certain lab tests so that we know, for example, when the PI index is over two, that's what's fueling that cytokine TGF beta one to be so high. And so then we can say, okay, well, your TGF-1 then, the, the reason it's 10,000 is because your environment is full of actinos, right? And so then we have to say, okay, well, let's let's clear out all these actinos. Well, how are we going to do that? It's not that easy. Uh, and people are like, well, can I do this myself? I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to have to teach you what to do. And it's hard. So there are, there are companies that you can bring in to try to do it. The question becomes... Can you trust that they're actually doing the work? Like you're not there watching them. Like I have, you know, patients that have ring video cameras and all that stuff. And I have videos of these guys just standing around smoking. They're not doing anything. Yeah. So you can't just assume that you're hiring some remediation company and the guys are going to come in and actually do what they're supposed to do. In the end of the day, they may not have done any of it. So that's why a lot of patients are like, well, just teach me how to do it myself. So Getting rid of actinomycetes from your environment involves two things. One, you got to get it off of you and everyone else who lives in the home. So one of the ways you can do that is with a special soap that we've started using called Defense um, Soap Body Gel. And um, it works really well. It's all natural ingredients, essential oils, and there's nothing toxic in it. So that's like a good thing to use in the shower every day for everybody that lives in the house. So that's the first thing I tell them is everybody in the house going to have to start showering with this every day. And the second thing is, then you have to decontaminate the house. And that's a lengthy process. But one of the, the big things, besides cleaning bathrooms and stuff, is you got to get a HEPA vacuum, which is not cheap. Uh, a mealy HEPA vacuum is $800. Oh, wow. So it's an investment in your future. Instead of hiring the company for $20,000, you're going to buy a, a vacuum for $800, right? So there's a trade-off there. And then you have to vacuum the entire house the floors, the walls, everything, furniture, the entire house has to be vacuumed. It's a laborious process. So I've done two homes already myself. I did my house and I do my daughter's house. 
my house is 2,200 square feet. My daughter's house is 3,500 square feet. Um, took my two days to do mine, three days to do hers. Uh, I vacuumed every stinking wall. Like, it's a lot of work. Lauren was wiping down all the surfaces, cleaning out drawers. We were washing clothes. You know, it's a whole nother issue. Doing everything to decontaminate her home from the actinos because she had a lot of actinos in her home. So it is doable, but there's a process. And air filtration is a big part of that. You need to have the right air filters, which I don't know if you've talked about that before. But if you want, we can get into that. Yeah, um, you could bring it up, but uh, re- really quickly. So on Amazon, for example, you can look up a HEPA vacuum and you you can find one for $100. So are those not ideal they're to junk. use? Oh, yeah, okay. they're junk. You know, I think in the vacuum world, like with a lot of things, I've learned that you only get what you pay for. So um, you need a canister vacuum because you're vacuuming walls. So you right, can't right. use a regular vacuum, right? And you need one that's truly a HEPA vacuum. That's a, a sealed contained HEPA vacuuming unit. So Dyson makes one, but it's not all that great. Um, the, the gold standard in the world is Miele, M-I-E-L-E. They're made in Germany. They last 20 years. They're the best. So they're not cheap, but they'll do the job. And so don't buy the $100 thing. It's just like air filters. Don't go to Costco and buy a $100 HEPA filter. Right, right. It doesn't do anything. Just forget that, right? You have SIRS. You're not Joe, normal person. You have to have certain pieces of equipment to heal from this. So let's talk about affordability. Uh, one of the biggest complaints we get is, first of all, the blood work is expensive. And then everything beyond that is even more expensive, um, especially the home remediation part. And then even the cleaning, the testing how do people afford this? Um, I just got a message from a Canadian and I we don't even treat the Canadians because I can't do it, it to do the blood work from the US and I don't have the access rights to do the genie testing. And so I cannot do it, but it costs three times the amount. So I just don't offer it anymore for Canadians. But Yikes. one uh, Canadian message and said that for any treatment, it costs $1,500 per month per person, and they have a whole family to handle. And so she said, I mean, is this a rich man's disease and treatment because our whole family has SIRS and I can't afford $6,000 per month? I think that's absurd. So I, I have to come at this, I guess, from two different perspectives. So one is I have a free medical clinic. I'm treating people totally for free. No labs because we can't afford it. I give them all their binders. I give them all their supplements. They don't have to pay a penny, right? So how do I do that? It's because we know through certain screening tests that these people have SIRS, symptom inventory and VCS testing. If they fail both of those, I'm 100% sure they have SIRS. So I don't need the blood test to tell me that. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff I learned from doing the lab work, right? But I can live without it if I have to. And if the patient's okay with that, and in a free clinic environment, that's what we do. I have a local health center here. They'll provide me some very basic things like a blood count, a metabolic panel. They'll even give me their thyroid levels, which are super important to me, vitamin D levels. So I can get some basic stuff. So I tell patients who are not in that environment that are coming to me, listen, there's a few basic things that we probably should know, but otherwise, If you can't afford to do any more testing, we don't have to do that. As long as you have the symptoms, you fail your visual test, or we've had documented exposure and you just look like a classic, you know, SERS patient, and they're okay with that, I go ahead and just treat them. So I gave a talk at 
um, our conference a year ago called SIRS on a Budget. Um, so I'm kind of used to doing SIRS on a budget. So there are ways not to, I don't want to say cut corners, to modify the protocol a little bit to account for financial needs. Your free clinic, you have to qualify though, right, for that. So then your other clinic, do you also use some of those hacks, I guess, if you want to call it that? Yes, I do. Okay. I think that every SIRS practice is going to have patients who are just barely getting by. Like they have enough money made to pay for the office visit, but that's about it. And so I really want people to conserve their resources for the house. Like that's more important to me than anything, right, is getting the house fixed up. And that's a whole nother subject. Like, what do you do when there's no place to go? Like, that's a whole nother subject. But in any event, so I think that I've learned a lot from taking care of people at my free clinic about what things you could modify to do that in the real world with other people, as long as they consent, as long as they're okay with that, they get permission to move ahead, that they understand, yeah, I've looked at this, I have SIRS, I know I have SIRS, I don't need all these lab tests to prove I have SIRS, I'd like them, but I can't afford them. And so let's go ahead and just treat me anyway. And I do that. So in that situation, because a lot of times, the blood work helps to find the ranges, and then Let's say someone's not getting fully better. Do sometimes the blood work again to see, okay, where are your ranges and where's where are you moving or shifting with blood work? But if you don't have the blood work, do you just assume it's their home that's making them not better then? So in 16 and a half years of doing this, I can tell you that I have not had a person yet who failed the protocol other than they were still in exposure. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I mean, assuming that they're following what I have them to do and they're doing it correctly, right? And they're following the steps the way it's supposed to be. It's step one, removed from exposure. That's the thing that trips up every single person. Now, again, I have, you know, lots of complicated people, as you do, that have mast cell histamine issues and chemical sensitivity. And there's other things that make, you know, the journey a little more difficult. But ultimately, they should get put to point B. And if they're not getting to point B, It's always because of point A hasn't been fixed yet. What about people with trauma? So maybe they're so skeptical about this illness. Could that impact them healing or is it truly just the environment? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I mean, you know, now we have, you know, plenty of studies done with our genie patients that we know a third of our SERS patients have PTSD. So, but why do they have PTSD? Is it because of previous life events? Well, I'm sorry, going through SIRS can give you PTSD. I mean, you know, once you've had to move out of your house, get rid of all your stuff, it's been remediated five times, it's still not good, you're still sick, you've been to 15 doctors, that's enough to give anybody PTSD. Well, then if you add the physiology in that's abnormal too, it's no wonder that the PTSD perpetuates, right? And so then people go out and they're seeking limbic retraining and all these DNRS and all these other things that are costly too, right? More money to spend and aren't really fixing the problem because you have to go back and fix their underlying physiology first. Otherwise, none of that helps. So how much is mindset and faith and the belief that of hope um, really come into play with SIRS? Everything. It's everything. And obviously, I'm a, I'm a Christian physician. I bring my spiritual life and, and faith into my practice every day. I offer to pray with every single patient that I see. And in 16 and a half years, I've had five people tell me no. Um, everybody wants that because they've kind of come to the end of the rope. They don't know what to do anymore. And so I try to make sure that at the end of our first meeting together, I, I ask him this question. 
do you have hope? You know, and they're like, I think I do now, you know, and that's where you have to start. Like, okay, I, I have a doctor now who believes there's something wrong with me. He's got a plan to fix me. I am not going to stay like this the rest of my life. That's the first step. And once they get that, then I just say just a little faith. You know, Jesus said the faith of a mustard seed, right? That's all you had to have. And I said, just have a little faith that God's worked this all out, that you would come to Judy and I, and we would help you on this journey to get better. And, and so he hasn't given up on you. So just have a little faith, a little bit of hope. And then I watch it as we go through the weeks and the months, and it's growing. Like, they can see that, like, yeah, I'm, I, there's hope that I'm going to have a different life now. And then I started asking them, all right, what's your life going to look like post-SERS? Like, once this is all done right. and you're all better, now what are you going to do with your life? And most of them have never thought about that because they've been sick for so long. It's like they didn't know that they had a future. But they do have a future. And a lot of them say to me, you know, I really want to go out and help other people who have this. And I'm like, that's how God works it all out and turns it around, right? And then sends you out to now help some other people with us. It's interesting. Um, I, I, We just recently put that in our intake form of what are you going to do or what is a goal of yours once you heal? And all the questions always get me so teary-eyed because... Some of them say, I don't know, I never thought about it. And then there's some of them that will say, I'll thank God because, um, or other other things. And it's, it's the, we ask that intentionally to grab the hope that they have and try to build it too. So I just, um, yeah, I think it's so important. And I love that you brought it up um, or bringing up these examples because you're right. It just, it, I just need a little bit of the hope or the belief that this is possibly the end all answer. But after going to 10 to 15 doctors, people are skeptical. And so it's um, process. Yeah. But, you know, I think what I think what gets people past that point with me is because I'm different. You're different. Like they can tell that we're different. We're not just in this for the money. Like so I give every, all, all my new patients, I give them a speech. So I tell them this. I said and this is on I because I do these 10 minute free phone calls with people um, just to you know let them talk to me. And um, I tell them this. I say, listen, I'm semi-retired. I don't have to do this. I really don't. Like, the reason I'm doing this is because this is God's calling on my life to do this. So I'm doing it because I want to do it, because I love doing this, right? I love helping people just like you. And so I take in enough money to pay Lauren and Carmen and keep the bills paid here. I don't take a cent from this practice. I I don't have to. If I make any money, I reinvest it in my free clinic. So... I said, because of that, I'm on a different level with you. Now I'm really invested in you because I have to answer to the Lord about what happens to you and not just to people. He's bringing you to me because he wants to for a reason. And I got to figure out, okay, how do I, what do I do? What's my role in all this? So it's not like you're just a patient to me. You're part of his healing plan of what he's doing. And it's like, that's super important. And once people get it, you know, that I'm different. I'm not just doing this for the money or whatever. They're like, oh, okay. I do have some faith now. I do have some hope that things are going to change. Yeah. I, I, I think that SERS is so complicated and so complex that I don't think most of the providers, as you mentioned, maybe they have their own SERS journey, but most of the people in our community, especially Dr. Shoemaker's community, they're not here just to make money. Um, I think it's because the cases are so difficult and I see it in our listserv where people are talking about these really hard cases and 
you know, we're losing sleep and having stress over it. So I, I, I think it's more than just money. Otherwise, you wouldn't stay in this type of work. We we are seeing the worst of the worst. I mean, you know, the worst people in this country are coming to us. You could be making money a lot of other ways if you wanted to. No, you're doing this because it's a passion, because this is your calling, even though whether you realize it or not, or what your relationship with God is or not, this is your calling to help people who have this problem. And do you believe that regardless of your genetic haplotype that you can fully heal with this, assuming you get into a clean building? I'm better, right? Like, so I still have to be careful though. Like I'm careful what buildings I go into. Like okay. if I, if I, and we don't go to restaurants very much anymore because I'm really disgusted with them. But, but if we do go somewhere for a special occasion, I'm like sniffing, looking around, I'm looking for water damage. I'm looking for all that stuff, you know, and I do exactly what Richie says. We sit down, we order water, look at the menu. If we're not feeling good in 10, 15 minutes, we're out of there. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so you have to have, that continual caution. You have to constantly be looking and maintaining yourself. If I have an off day and I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling good. I start some well call. Like, I don't know where I've been or what I've done, but I don't feel right. So I'll start taking some well calls. So I teach people to have a really, you know, to be very cognizant of their environments and to have a low threshold for starting binders again. There's a handful of people that will move around and they obviously can't find a ideal environment. And I think that's where people start losing hope because the hardest step is the very first step, which is to get out of exposure. And I just had a client that left everything behind and moved into a relatively new build. They, she started reacting, did a hurts me too. And she has a, it's a 14, which is the Dr. Schumacher recommends 10 or below. And she's so disheartened right now. And what do you do with people that are in that place? It's hard. Um, I have people living in tents. I have people living in their cars. Uh, I have people living in RVs. RVs have actually turned out to be my friend right now because okay. there's not a lot of places in Southwest Florida for people to go that aren't haven't been damaged. Like there's nothing here. If there are things here, then either adjusters or contractors or somebody else is staying in them. So, you know, and I have... So anyway, RVs have some advantages to them. So I have people in RVs. It's a smaller environment. It's contained. There's usually doesn't have leak issues. You can clean it easily. You can put an air filter in the middle of it. An RV could be a good temporary spot for people. This where you're going to park it. That's the next problem. Um, Got to have a place to put it. But so RVs could be helpful. But I understand it's very discouraging. I have people all the time and say to me, "Oh, I'm going to go and find some new build," and they go into the new build and they're sick. Right. So it's either off gassing of VOCs or you got to remember that, you know, the actinos have been left behind by everybody that's been there. So all the workers are left their actinos there. I mean, so there's going to be stuff in there. And just because it's new doesn't mean it doesn't have mold growing in it. So if you were down here in, in Southwest Florida, and probably the same is true in Austin, maybe not to such a degree. You don't have a rainy season, but we have a rainy season. So we're getting ready to start that now in June. So for five months or so, it's going to rain every day. So watch the way homes are being built here, right? So they bring in the concrete blocks. They're all wet. They put them up. Then they bring in the trusses to sit there for a week. It's soaking wet all the time, right? So they're all wet. They put them up. Then they put the the plywood over the trusses. It's all wet too. And now they close it in with walls. And then they put drywall up on all this wet stuff. You don't think there's mold growing in this place? Like, my goodness. So, yeah, I mean, I think RVs are options. Is there a way that, let's say, let's say in that particular home that has a 14, 
How effective are some of the air purifiers or filtration systems that maybe you just stay in a room? Is that even possible, do you think? So that maybe you just heal? I think air filters are a a really helpful adjunct for this. Like my SERS patients who are doing the best have eye adapters. So I I clearly recommend those to everybody. I have everybody using them. They have the data that we need to support that they're actually helping people. So I think air filters can be a Band-Aid. They can cover up a lot of evils while you're still trying to work on identifying, remediating, decontaminating. Like you're still going to need to do all that. But then the air filter can be your friend blowing clean air on you all the time so that you could try to recover from this. And then once that's all done, then the air filter helps to maintain your environment so that it doesn't get recontaminated because it could get recontaminated. Like, uh, you know, the air conditioning system could have a problem and then you could get more junk. You could be bringing stuff into the house that's got stuff on it. So I think the air filters, if especially the eye adapt airs, are very helpful because it's HEPA, an ionizer, it's ultraviolet light, it's charcoal filter, it's kind of everything all in one. I think was a, I think those are good. Yeah, uh, we have one in every room, and so I mean, our family doesn't have SIRS, but we, I have a, the, a really big one in my kids' room because now I've seen so much. I, I've seen the illness that affects families from mold illness or just water damage buildings, and we remediated. But I still have a filter filter in every room just because I know how not ideal it is. And when you're sleeping in one place for eight hours, ideally, it's the best way to get clean air while you're at least sleeping. So well, and you're in a much bigger city than I'm in Austin. I mean, you've got air pollution. I mean, besides the organisms in the building, you got toxins in the air, right? So having the an air filtration system is a great idea. Can you talk a little bit about your the work that you're doing since um, Hurricane Ian and just um, a lot of the stuff that you're doing in Florida. It's crazy. So um, yeah, no one has ever attempted to do this before in the United States after a natural disaster. So I have this free medical clinic um, called Christian Medical Ministries. And so I realized right after Ian that like tens of thousands of people here are going to be in water damage structures now because we had horrible flooding um, you know, roofs torn off. I mean, this was a mess here. I mean, it still is a mess. Um, like Sandbell Island, which is one of my favorite places to stay, was just decimated. Like it's just, they should have just plowed under the whole island. And so what they're doing now is they're coming in there and they're remediating the structures poorly. And there's not one place left on that island I will ever go into. Like it's going to be horrible. So anyway, um, I've got this free clinic and I, I was asking the Lord what to do. And he's like, Alan, you got to go out and take care of these people. I'm like, how am I going to do that? And he's like, well, you got to at least take care of the ones that don't have like insurance and money and stuff. So he gave me this vision to set up like these eight mobile clinics throughout Lee County and to staff them with volunteers and some paid staff and to treat these people for free. So that's what I'm going to do. 10,000 people over the next two years. That's what we're going to treat. And so, um, You know, I'm meeting with partnerships, partner groups that want to help with this. And the county kind of want to help, but they have no money for me. Um, So money is always kind of the rate limiting step and all this. But I have a lot of donated resources um, to be able to like one of the places called AmeriCares. So they they provide medications to like mission organizations throughout the world and also free clinics here in the United States. One day I looked at their list, they had Questran on there. Like, that's crazy. Like, I got as much as I could. Like, so I have cases and cases of this stuff here, right? So, and the same thing was true with Wellcall at one point, but it's not been on there since. Um, 
So anyway, I've got free stuff that I can give to people and go out and treat them in these remote locations. And um, we're going to we have an electronic health system. We're going to link them all together, collect data, create a template so that then other communities can do the same thing after the next natural disaster, because there's always going to be another Ian. There's always going to be another Katrina. There's always going to be another one of these guys coming. And so what I want people to do is start thinking about it's not just enough to house people, clothe them, feed them. you got to be thinking about their SIRS. And, you know, 24% of them are going to get sick. And it's going to change their life because chapter 10 of the SIRS book is what? Dementia, right? Like, that's where all this goes. If you don't treat this, like... That's what I was trying to tell the people in the county here. Like, if you don't do something about this 10 years from now, you're going to have thousands and thousands of people needing memory care. Who's going to pay for all that? Like, how is that going to all happen? So there's lots of repercussions of this. And so I'm just trying to get people to pay attention. But that's the plan. So what about the building, though? So if like on that island, even if you help with the medical side, so maybe they feel better for a little bit, but the environment I mean, that's the biggest issue with all of this. It's a huge issue. And, you know, I've got some friends in code enforcement that I've made that, you know, we could file a complaint against the landlord. Because what do you do in a free clinic where everybody's like in a rental agreement and they're in a landlord in an apartment or house or wherever it is? Landlord doesn't care. Like, I, I wish they would, but they don't care. And so you have to force them to do the changes that you that you need. And so we're going to have to figure out how to do that. So some of this is going to be learning as we go and creating on the fly. But again, when I'm done with all this process over the next two years, then we'll have a workable paradigm that other communities can use. That's exciting. I, I had a client that she thought if she just mentioned to new um to to new landlords, hey, I am very sensitive to mold. Um, how is your place? And almost everyone was not responding to her messages. They're not so going to say a word, right? Yeah. So they they don't want, and so they'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry, there's no more availability in our place." So she wasn't getting any housing, and so now she just brings up that she's immunocompromised. It's still not as it's more helpful than saying she has mold, but I think the moment people hear mold and I get sick from mold, uh, they don't want you in their housing. And I mean, it makes sense. There's but. a there's a, a burgeoning of lawsuits on this. And so landlords are not stupid. They're looking at in online and literature and they're seeing like, oh, I don't want to be a part of a mold lawsuit. Right? right. So, no, they're being very, very careful about this. So saying that you're sensitive individual or something or immunocompromised, like you said, might be less scary than. So I try to teach people like, you know, because they're like, OK, well, I'm going to go out and try to look for an apartment. What, how do I look for one? Right. And I think that there's a couple of easy steps that I try to tell people to do because they're like, I can't test every one of them with some envirobiomics test, right? So I'm like, the first thing you do is smell. Like, go into the place. If something doesn't smell right, you should just walk out the door. Like, we have good studies now showing that the presence of a musty smell is correlated with, you know, high levels of either actinos or molds 100% of the time. 100%. Like, so your nose is very valuable. Second thing is you look for signs of water damage. And, you know, so you look for stains on the ceiling or paint chipping under the windows or, you know, you look for things that are signs that uh, there's been leaks here. There's been some water structure things that haven't been addressed right. I better go. And that's another reason to leave. So if they pass all that, then you put I tell people to like spend 30 minutes in the place. 
Because if you can spend 30 minutes in a place and you don't react to it, if there is contamination, it's probably at a much lower level that we can deal with. But if you start feeling sick in 30 minutes, you better hike it out of there and get, take that place off your list because that's not going to work. That's so smart. Um, that makes so much sense that because most people will start reacting within 15 minutes. So if you can stay there for 30 minutes and not feel any new symptoms, then it's probably a good sign. I do find it interesting. I saw a um, a talk not too long ago that mentioned that one of the first signs of neuroinflammation and neurodegeneration is your loss of smell. And when you're bringing up and it's interesting because long COVID, one of the biggest things is that people lose their smell and it's, or you have SIRS, right? It's just, it's so fascinating how everything is so, so connected. It's all interconnected. Yeah. The, the loss of smell thing was very, very interesting with that. And we do see that abnormal smells and things in SIRS patients. But yeah, I, I haven't found, and I don't think anybody in our group has found a long COVID patient that didn't have SIRS. You know, thousands of people we've tested now. Um, they all have this as the cause. And, and that's what's so aggravating is that, you know, the government's telling us that 10% of the U.S. adults that have had COVID have long COVID, but they're not saying why. We don't know why. We're going to do studies through the NIH to try to figure out why. I'm sorry, while you're doing those studies for the next five years, what are you going to do with these poor people right. that are sick, right? Like, we know why they have it. You just don't want to admit to it. Because like, if you actually admitted they were all in water damaged places that were sick, and some of them are your military housing and government mm -hmm. units, you'd be getting sued out the wazoo. So they're never going to admit that. I've been getting contacted by people living in military housing so much. Um, it's becoming very common and I don't have a option for them. So they'll say we have to live in these houses and they'll send me pictures of the mold that's blatantly showing on the walls around the HVAC. I mean, what do you do in those situations? I don't know. I mean, if you if you can get out, you should get out. If you can't get out, then you wind up having to get an attorney and you're going to have to find somebody who actually knows what they're doing because most attorneys have no clue what to do with this. Um, but you need an attorney that's experienced in dealing with this and who's not afraid to go after the Department of Defense. So yeah, I just had a deposition a week ago for a family that was um, sick from military housing in San Diego and um, they're doing great now. I don't, did we talk about this already? No. Well, we um, talked about, you just mentioned that you worked with somebody that had military housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this family's doing really great. So I had to do a deposition, you know, for the attorneys representing the Department of Defense. And it was just not a fun experience. But the, the thing is, you have to you have to get out. Of, they got out. Okay. They just left. And, and so now they're in a clean place here in, in Southwest Florida. And they're getting better. The kids are getting better. Everybody's getting better. But they went through a nightmare. And financially, it's been a nightmare. And so they're trying to recoup some of that. And so I'm trying to help them. Um, but it's hard. I mean, for people that are in that situation right now, I think that you go to the, the head of the base and say, listen, you know, this place is gross. There's all kinds of stuff growing in here. If you don't get me out of here and I'm sick, I'm going to sue the pants off of the military. You're just going to have to tell them that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how else no, to do right, it. Right, right. I know. I, I mean, it makes sense. I have a client that tried to get some insurance money from the remediations and showed that it was mold. They got denied. And then they separately filed for life insurance for because of, and then so they had to get all the paperwork from their doctors. And one of them brought up chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And then they got denied for having chronic and so they don't have life insurance so it's interesting the home side they're like no 
it's not really mold or something about the coverage, they wouldn't accept it. And there's all these caps on mold. Now I think it's like 5,000 is the most that they'll, they're willing to cover. But then when they try to get the insurance, that's when they actually do recognize the illness. So, or the life insurance. So it's just, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It is very difficult. I think um, the smart thing that my family that I'm working with did is when they were in that housing is they got their own testing. They got their own test results back that are irrefutable. I mean, you cannot, you can't argue. I mean, yes, it's air samples. It's not as accurate. I understand that. But when your aspergillus levels are like 5,000 on an air sample, you know, it's a bad place. Right. And so I'm like, I'm trying to explain this to the, to the attorney that's representing you know, the Department of Defense. I'm like, they have SIRS. Here's the results of the place. What are you trying to say? Oh, they got sick from tick bites. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, are you an expert on the tick population in Southern California and the incidence of, of Borrelia? I'm like, no, but I tested them for Lyme disease. They don't have that. Well, how do you know? And so I'm like, because I tested, here's the test. Like, they don't have Lyme disease. Well, I think they got sick from tick bites. See, this is the, the they actually didn't wow. dispute that they had SIRS. They just said they had SIRS from a tick bite. Right. So something other crazy. than the crazy. housing. Yeah. Right. Right. It was crazy. So, but the thing that helps us is that family had their own independent testing of that place and it's gross. They they can't really get out of this. So eventually they'll win, but they're just making them go through all these hoops, you know? And so if anybody's in that situation currently, get your own independent test results, take some cultures, get an air sample, take pictures of everything, you know, cause in the future you may wind up needing that. And then from a legal perspective, that's where blood work is important, right? From the beginning, because you need data to prove you were actually sick from the home. Well, you need data to prove that you have SIRS. And that's what I ask all my patients now that come to me. I'm like, it's one of the first questions I ask them is like, are you planning on doing a lawsuit against anybody? Because if you are, there's a different level of testing I need to do than just to get you better. Right. And now I've also added... If you are doing, if you're going to pursue any legal action, we test our TGF beta one and our um, C4A through LabCorp, which technically through Dr. Shoemaker, that's not the ideal place to test, but just for convenience, we do all of it at LabCorp. But then if you are going to go legally, Dr. Allen or the other doctors may have to have you go through Quest because through the study and the literature, it's Quest that you need those specific markers in. And I think that's a very reasonable approach. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Christian ministries, the SERS group we're part of? <laughs> sure. So um, it came to me uh, over you know a little bit of time that there were a number of us involved with Dr. Shoemaker's group who were followers of Jesus. And so a few of us started to meet together to pray once a month. And, and then it kind of grew and it kind of grew. And then we invited other people in. And before you knew it, we had this Christian SERS network that I get the privilege of kind of running, uh, among other things. I don't know how that's happening. And then we have a website now um, that's um, uh, SERSnetwork.org. And it's a place where like-minded people can kind of come together and say, hey, we have services that are a little different because we're looking at body, mind, and spirit instead of just body and mind. And and so we can offer something a little different to people than what the normal service provider can give. And so if anybody's interested, we have a site where you can go to find not only practitioners and 
nutritionists and indoor environmental professionals. There's a whole group of people on there who have different backgrounds. And everybody does kind of telemedicine things now or virtual visits. So you don't have to actually live physically close anymore to partake of that. But yeah, we've got a nice group that, um, and we meet together still once a month and talk and pray and pray for each other and the needs of our of our people that we're taking care of. Yeah, I love that. I mean, sometimes I can't make it to the meetings, but I love that even through emails, we encourage each other and ask for prayers. And I think it's one thing that was lonely just personally for me is as a practitioner, and I'm working with carnivore, some of the sickest because carnivore, whatever they've learned online or in books is not working. And so I was getting the sickest of the carnivore population and I had no other colleagues to turn to because no one else was doing the work I was doing other than doctors. And maybe those people don't believe in carnivore. And, and so then when I ran, well, into I do S- now, I've seen enough of it that I'm a believer. No. And so when I ran into SIRS and all the providers, it's, I felt that God went, cause that was the biggest thing missing for me in my practice. And I felt that God gave me a team of people I can lean on. And if I had a question, I can email you and ask, what would you do in this case? And it's it's been so comforting in that way, just in that itself. So I, I'm so thankful for meeting people like you. I'm thankful that I met you because <laughs> you totally have changed the way I view nutrition and all okay. that stuff. Um, I mean, I went from being like Mr. Plant-based, vegan, whatever you know, now I love meat again. I, and I've always loved meat, but now I can actually have an excuse to tell people to eat meat. Like it's been great. <laughs> That's awesome. I was plant-based for 12 years and I struggled with mental illness. I know, I know. Yeah. So um, I, and I think for SIRS, if you're going to take a cholesterol reducing binder, it helps to have extra cholesterol in your system. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm totally with it. In fact, this this young man I talked about earlier that's got Parkinson's, I challenged him the other day to go on carnivore. So I don't know, hopefully he'll contact you, but he was going to start doing some research and looking into it because I'm like, listen, whatever you're doing, it's not working, man. Right. You're getting worse every day. Like we got to change this up. No, that's powerful. I really think the the diet part, if you could reduce the inflammation that's coming in from any maybe plant toxin, maybe it's like the herbicides on the actual plants you're eating, whatever the case may be, if you could just reduce all that and just stick to meat and make your diet super simple, it will help reduce the noise that's in your body and your system as you're trying to heal. So you don't, you may not need to do it long-term, but find that balance that makes sense so that you can just reduce the pain that you're going through. And I think that's where carnivore plus serves is so powerful. It is powerful. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. You are always so helpful and um, so generous with your time when you're always so busy. So I, I appreciate you so much. And thank you so much. Uh, where can people find your clinic, um, your fibromyalgia clinic as well? My regular practice site is fibromyalgiafortmyers.com. Uh, and that's where I got a, a lot of information on there about SIRS and, and what I do and et cetera, et cetera. There's a ton of stuff on there. And then our free clinic is free, um, is christianmedicalministries.org. And that's kind of our home hub now for everything we're doing in the free world down here uh, to try to help SIRS patients get better. So we're, the things that we we launched are called mold illness treatment centers. I know it's not mold illness. It's really biotoxin illness. But that's what people call it down here now. And, and it is becoming much more highly recognized uh, as a problem, which has been a good thing. Yeah, I, I can see why people label things mold, because when you say biotoxins, it sounds so scary. Um, and it sounds it, like it, China is doing something yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's here. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I think it makes sense. And 
But then we also have to, once people start learning about SIRS, then explain it is not just mold that you're getting SIRS from. And that's where we are so different from those urinary mycotoxin tests that's only showing either you have a good response because you ate some moldy food. And so you're having a good response to that. And so it's showing you're healthy versus when you have SIRS and you do some blood work or you do other testing, it's way beyond just mycotoxins. It's way beyond mycotoxins. (laughs) You know, I know that SIRS can be super daunting. A lot of the stuff we talked about requires money and effort. And and so it can be hard. Can you close with maybe a incredible healing story for people to be uplifted as they leave this conversation? Yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of really cool stories. Um, but I think that, you know, this military family that I've been talking about is is a that's a that's like a really dramatic change. Like they came to me. And like the mom had fibromyalgia, she was like, couldn't do anything. The dad was trying to go to nursing school, couldn't even think. Um, The kids were laying in bed pretty much most of the day. And now her fibro has totally gone away. He's in school getting all A's in nursing school. And the girls, one's playing competitive volleyball. The other one's doing cross country. Like the the whole thing has radically changed. So. I mean, there is life after SIRS, and and they've been very good patients. Like, the mom was, like, methodical. Like, you tell us what to do, I'm going to lay it out, and everybody's going to do it. So she had everybody organized with their little pill containers and had it all set up, right, for everybody to do, and it worked, you know? And we tested their house. There was problems with the house, so Max came to the house, figured out what was wrong. We had to, you know, decontaminate their home. So, no, they had to go through some steps, but it paid off. They're going to have normal lives. He's going to go on to become a great nurse because he understands now SIRS and he understands what these people really have under the surface. And he's going to help a lot of people. And then she is going to be a volunteer in one of my mold illness treatment centers and help um, our free clinic patients. That is amazing. Thank you. That is uh, that's such a powerful story. And you brought up the family several times. So it's just a good way to end. Thank you so much for everything you do. I genuinely Uh, You're one of the few doctors I turn to when I have a question or a hard case or something happens differently from SIRS that I haven't yet seen. So I appreciate you so much. And again, you're always willing to get on a call and I don't know how you do it when you manage so many things. And um, I really think it's your faith. And so that even strengthens my faith. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. And I think that, you know, for me at this point in my life, because I'm 66 or whatever, I mean, I have to start looking at training the next generation. Like I have to reproduce. I can't do this all myself. So that's why I'm willing to, you know, get on calls, meet with you, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't claim to be the smartest person in the world with this. There's a lot of stuff I don't know. I think Eric is probably a ton smarter than me, but I do have passion and, and I can translate that into like, reality for people who can't afford um, maybe every part of this and and try to figure out how to make it work for them. So, so I'm thrilled that you're interested and, I'm, and anything I can do to help you, I will do that. Thank you so much again for your time. I know that this conversation will help so many. Okay, guys, I hope that you learned a lot about chronic inflammatory response syndrome. I hope you got a lot of hope from this conversation. I know every time I speak with Dr. Grunning, I learn so much from him. He's always willing to share his time with me. And he's just so open and honestly candid. He shares a lot of information that may be helpful for you. If you are suffering from SIRS, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I know it's such a difficult illness and getting out of exposure. The very first step is one of the hardest. 
But as you heard from him about that military family, how they were so sick and riddled with illness where they're all debilitated, and now they have a second chance at life, and they're going to give back by telling other people about SIRS. Because when you actually get through it and you are healing, you know the benefits of going through this illness and going through the protocol so that you can get your life back. And I think that's what we all want following health and wellness content. So if you're up for it, and it's something that you've been sort of shying away from learning about, it's something you may want to consider. Thank you, Dr. Grunning, for joining this podcast episode. You are such a beacon of hope and light, and you make me always want to strive and do better and be better. So thank you. Okay, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.